welcome to the Mastering Medicare podcast, where we demystify healthcare and Medicare for senior-serving professionals and providers, with your co-hosts, Dr. Alex Moseni and Dr. Amy Schiffman. Visit MasteringMedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. Okay. We're back. And the third episode of Mastering Medicare back from COVID. Eventually, I'm going to stop saying that. Today, we actually have an amazing guest. But before I go into that, I want to make sure everybody knows that we, Alex and I, have created an amazing new product. (laughs) We have been for a long time trying to address issues within the stakeholder community for aging in place. And we have released a newsletter It's called Aging Here, and we would like to encourage all of our listeners to subscribe. It's available at aginghere.com. Alex, anything else about aginghere.com? Yeah, so it's it's really focused on like the business and operations and innovations in the aging in place space. So so for everybody who's on the business side of aging in place, that that's our that's our target kind of audience. And we 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 we, want feedback. Yeah, we want feedback and we want stories. So share your stories. If you're doing something cool in that space, please contact us, info at aginghere.com. Okay, let's get going. Yep. Okay, so today we have an amazing guest. And one of the things that's amazing about this is that last week's episode, we talked about CPT coding, ICD-10 coding. And so today's amazing guest is Mark Gruner, who is coming to us from Limber Health. I need to dive into how I met Mark. He is a physician and about, I don't know what you say, Mark, about five weeks ago, we were sitting at a cafe called Java Nation and we just were sitting near each other and you were having a very lovely breakfast with your wife and your adorable child. And I was having a business meeting with this really very lovely person who was trying to work on a startup. And we kept using the word CPT code and I kept saying, you don't need the CPT codes. Maybe you want to do this and maybe you want to do this. And you turned around and you're like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to eavesdrop, but I heard the word CPT code. And I was like, what? There's a guy who also knows the words CPT code. And we began talking and Mark gave us a lot of information while I was sitting next to him. And it turns out that Mark is not only a physician, but he's also an entrepreneur and also apparently very, very clever. Because he has created, through his experience in PM&R, a company, and you're going to tell me how wrong I am and how amazingly off-target I am, that basically works in the RTM marketplace. And then Mark went on to tell me how he actually created the new CMS CPT codes and for RTM. So it wasn't just that you start a company, you actually created the market. So that is why we are here. And I'm excited to introduce you. So, Mark, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and give your background and we'll kind of dive in from there. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say, you know, I definitely had a, a part of, of, of creating the code, but it, it, it is it, throughout the journey, I can tell you it's a team effort where I was just one of many stakeholders that helped create the new code. But brief background myself, so I'm a, a board certified sports medicine physician did my medical degree and MBA focused on value-based healthcare. Worked briefly at CMMI on some innovative value-based care models and then trained at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And we did several clinical studies on the solution that we're gonna talk about, which is called Limber, which is a company I created with my brother. 
And then those studies helped us work on new CPT codes that we actually did the, we were part of the, the submission working with the AMA DIMPEC Society on creating new CPT codes, like you said. That is amazing. So, so Mark, tell us about Limber. What does the company do? What's the problem you guys solve and what's your guys' approach? Yeah, so we're a digital MSK solution trying to improve therapy adherence for patients suffering from MSK injuries. And so what Wait, MSK are, is musculoskeletal, just to yeah. clarify for our listeners, because yeah, that's great. Not all I'm, I'm literally thinking Memorial Sloan Kettering. So, you know, you never know. Yeah. MSK is anything that has to do with orthopedic care, which is knee pain, shoulder pain. And to many providers, we, we say, we say MSK, which is a bucket term for the largest healthcare spend in the United States. When you look at health service spend. So essentially what it is, a patient gets an app and that app has exercises, software that enables your physical therapist, occupational therapist, or physician to remotely monitor how you are doing with your exercises and tracking that through a portal that the provider gets. And all that is being reimbursable where tying the, the care that's being done in the clinic with care that's, that's supposed to be done at home, which is the exercises. So patients can be more compliant with their home exercise therapy. So let me, let me go back a little bit to the beginning. Cause you know, I always think when you live in that world, you're like, wait, what, what, what? So what you're saying is that a physical therapist might give a prescription, basically like a prescriptive exercises and what happens is, is the patient's supposed to go home from a brick and mortar physical therapy place because not, it's not going to be house calls and, but it could be, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but then they're supposed to do exercises at home. And it is your technology that kind of both encourages as well as monitors those at-home exercises. And the person that then says, Hey, listen, you should be doing these at home can then get paid when you do your exercises. I mean, is that basically it? Yeah, you're spot on. So 80% of getting a good outcome with therapy is doing these exercises consistently at home. So uh, if you want to strengthen the muscles, it takes about six weeks for that to improve. So you want to create a sustainable lifestyle of, of doing the exercise at home. So a therapist before technology was giving out a paper printout to patients. Imagine Amy, your mom, and they get a paper printout on the exercises and they're like, what am I supposed to do? What did the therapist say? How am I supposed to do this exercise correctly? And they forget. And they're, then they're supposed to come back to the clinic and then they, they forget again. And then they're supposed to go home and they, they don't have anything to do their exercise besides a paper printout that, that they end up throwing away after several months. So let me ask another question. So what is the average age that you sort of envision would be doing this type of thing where the physical therapist would say, you, you're going to get the better outcome if you exercise at home? I mean, obviously, that's probably across the board, anybody who's receiving physical therapy services. But in this particular model, this RTM model, this remote, what does the T stand for? Remote therapeutic monitoring. Therapeutic monitoring. What is the average age of somebody who is getting remote therapeutic monitoring? Well, the codes originally went live with Medicare. There's okay. now over 45 commercial insurers that cover the code. But because it went live with Medicare, you know, our largest age group is, is the patients over the age of 65. Over the age of 65. Mark, can you talk a little bit more about 
what the, all the kind of problems were that you were trying to solve with Limber. So you mentioned that there's conf patients get confused about what they're supposed to do and that compliance is also an issue. But there's other problems too, right? Like people getting surgeries they don't really need and all of that. Can you talk about all the kind of different value streams that you're trying to generate? Yeah, gr great, Alex. Great question. So when I was at CMI, which is the think tank for value-based care, I saw that there was a large variance in the, the spend, meaning that there's a lot of unnecessary spend for musculoskeletal care, and it happens early in the episode. And that creates a lot of excess costs Dalgy, meaning like they go to the ED, they, they get a surgery too soon. And if you can, and there's, there's been several studies that have shown that if you can get patients to do their therapy early and stick to their therapy, you can avoid some of these unnecessary spend. So one of the, when I was originally thinking about this, it was a really frustrating point for me as a physician, because I was prescribing physical therapy to patients say, go do physical therapy. 12% of people go to physical therapy. Then of the people who do go, 30% complete it. So then they come back to, to, to Amy, Alex, me, and I ask them, did you guys do your physical therapy? And they say, no, it was expensive. It was challenging because of taking off time from work or traveling there. And I saw there were so many barriers for, for patients being successful therapy. And then I was like, well, that's really tough because I don't know what the, the next decision to do for you. If you, if I don't know that you didn't fail conservative treatment fully, I wouldn't want to order an MRI if I, if I didn't know that, that you didn't at least try conservative treatment. And so that's where a lot of the, the ideas behind Limber, the company I created really came from. That's amazing. So at this, so you identified these kind of different problems and opportunities, right? But then the codes didn't really exist, right? The RTM codes didn't really exist. Can you tell us a little bit about that story about how, like, how does that even happen that you, you know, you help become part of a team to develop new codes? Yeah. So when we first were working with clients, we worked with employers solely based on the business model, but I always wanted to work with providers and in order to, I know just from being a provider, and you guys will talk a lot about this today, is you need to have a good business model. And I knew if there's any way to work with providers, I need to have an ability for these codes to be reimbursed. So I worked very closely with the AMA Digital Health Payment Advisory Committee, met some friends in DC like Robert Jaron and a few others, and you know met with the AMA, Zach, and, and worked on these codes. And and garnered support from many medical societies and the uh, American Physical Therapy Society. But how does that, how does that even start? Like, do you email somebody like, saying, no. like, I have some new folks for you or what? A light bulb went off. Yeah, so for, 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 for me, it started when I was at Mayo, I, was, I wanted to know about how to create a new code. And there was a physician who was part of the RUC committee um, with the AMA and he told me the process of creating a new code in the U S. So, so I went to him and, and then he gave me a contact to the AMA and I reached out to that contact and that contact, I asked him, you know, there are new remote patient monitoring codes that primary care doctors can build that you guys are very familiar with that measure physiological data. Can a orthopedist or physical therapist do the same thing for monitoring their patients for therapy? 
And he said, no, you can't do that because it's not physiologic. And, you know, I said, we measure outcome measures. We, we measure their, their therapy. We track the range of motion. We track how they're doing with their exercises. He said, you're going to have to create a new code. And I said, well, how do you go and do that? Because it usually takes 10 years and a lot of times it doesn't work, but here's the application. And if you want to submit it, we have a month to, to, to submit it. So it was, I think June of 2019. And I put together an application and there were several other stakeholders that were also putting together an application similar. We, we band together. That is so amazing. Amy always jokes with me that like success in business depends on like two things. One is who, you know, and two is the ability to fill out forms. <laughs> I always say that you are willing to sit and fill out form after form, after form, you will undoubtedly succeed. Because it is the biggest barrier that they're like, I'm not doing that. If people always say to me, well, I mean, I was going to do that. And then the form was this thick. So I just walked away and I'm like, but all you have to do is just fill it out, flip the page, fill it out, flip the page. So that is interesting. I mean, I'm, I am, as you can tell from the fact that, you know, we continued our conversation after that first serendipitous meeting, I, I'm, I'm blown away at the fortitude that gets you through to that. Let me. Let me, I, I always like to go back to like what the primary care provider or a physician or any sort of provider will experience. So I do go back to basics all the time. So mm -hmm. let's pretend I am a primary care doctor. And I say to myself, I am going to refer this patient to physical therapy because they have knee pain and they may be on their way to a knee replacement or they have back pain and they may be on their way to a back surgery. But I want to try something more conservative. And we talk in medicine, when we say conservative, it means we don't jump to instrumentation. We don't jump to doing some sort of big procedure. So we opt for a conservative opportunity and we send the, that person, that patient to a physical therapist. So the physical therapist is going to see that patient. Then what exactly happens? They make a decision that they're going to do X amount of weeks of therapy at X amount of times per week. And then in between, there's supposed to be exercises. Can you walk me through what it would be like if I was a physical therapist working with Limber Health? Yeah. So if you're a physical therapist working for Limber Health, you know, first of all, we provide risk stratification so you can get a good global picture of what the patient risk factors are when you meet them for that first physical therapy evaluation. You can know their pain and function outcome scores on that first evaluation. So you can have a better conversation about psychosocial measures, their pain and function severity. So you can approach that eval when you see that person for that first time in a different way. Then you go through your physical therapy session, you show them how to do several exercises. You might do some manual therapy, going over how to, to calm down any inflammation that's happening in your injured joint, let's say for a knee. And then at the end of the visit, you're going to go to a portal. And you're going to give, you're going to select certain exercises that you want the patient to do at home. And you tell, and, and this happens before any technology ever existed. It was a paper printout, but essentially they would say, we want you to do, you know, your knee squats. We want you to do your lunges. We want you to do certain exercises to make sure you can strengthen the muscles in your knee. And we want you to do these consistently at home in between our visits. And after the end of your physical therapy episode. So then they put the patient on 
those exercises through a portal. And then within the patient downloads an app, within 24 hours, our care navigators who are licensed professionals reached out and they check in, they go over the goals, what the, the, the therapist wanted, make sure that patients understand what was going at home. You know, the patient's now at home and go over what their, their journey is going to be like over their entire physical therapy episode. And then we're remotely monitoring those sessions in between their visits of the exercise they're doing at home and making sure that they're consistently doing their exercises until they hit functional maximal recovery in their injury and they're able to return. And then they can have exercises that they want to do at home afterward. At the same time, we're tracking their pain and function. So your, your provider knows just like blood pressure, Amy and Alex, you can track ob objective numbers to know if your patients are improving and if they're doing their exercises, you can make different changes about what's going on in their care. So I'm a little confused, Mark. Explain to me, like, who's, who's buying your solution? Like, who's, how do you guys get paid? And, and like, is who's actually the user other than the, on the, who's on, who's the user on the provider side or on the professional side of, of your solution? Yeah. So the, our, our, the people who are, are paying for us are the providers. And so we invoice them based off of essentially billable milestones that we've achieved for remote monitoring. And so if we achieve certain points of, of monitoring, we invoice for our services to the provider and the patient is using that. Got it. Okay. So just let me kind of recap that. Make, tell me if I got it right or not. So, and actually, before we do that, can you clarify what sort of providers can bill RTM? Because I think it's different from RPM, right? Yeah. So there, there's some really big differences. The, what you, one of the biggest differences is that in RPM, it's built by physicians, nurse practitioners, and they, those are the, the main people that can build those codes. RTM can be built by physicians, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, or physician assistants. This so is huge, by the way. That's, that's huge. That's huge. I'm sorry, I had to interrupt. It was like one of those moments. Sorry, Alex. It was, it's amazing. I really want to say this out loud because this is actually kind of profound to me. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about in the Part B world who are, you know, who can bill Part B. And we always talk about NPs, PAs, MDs, DOs, that type of thing. But physical therapists obviously are doing work in the Part B space and they can bill these codes. And that to me is actually, that's like a market maker. I mean, that like cha can change the calculus for how much money a physical therapist can make. I'm, I'm guessing, right? I mean, there's got to be an enormous amount of money now that a that a physical therapist could potentially make by being able to then all, not only just having good patient outcomes, but they actually can increase their day over day revenue. They can. I usually like to to always say that this is not something you know just to make money, but sure. I do think that what the, the the most important thing is that this is a way for them to know how their patients are doing for their their therapy exercises. And, and one of the important things is that physical therapists and occupational therapists spend so much time with their patients. So they build a relationship and being able to connect what's happening in the clinic with what's happens at home 
it's just making that relationship stronger, which is mm -hmm. going to get a better outcome. Yeah. So let me recap that. So Mark, so basically providers, the kind of typical providers like physicians, PAs, NPs, plus these physical therapists and other sorts of folks can build the RTM codes so in the, in the fee-for-service kind of model, they, they're building the RTM code and getting paid typically what, like what's the typical range, like per, per member per month? What they, what they'll receive. The, what they'll, what it, they'll receive. Yeah. It all depends on, on if billable milestones achieve, but okay. the codes are exactly similar to, to RPM. They're, they're okay. identical and they're very similar in valuation purposes too. Got it. Cool. So let's call it, I don't know, hundred dollars PM, PM plus or minus. So they're getting reimbursed something in that range, and then they're paying limber and similar companies a lesser amount, presumably to support the program with both technology and the clinical services, right? Like, and the time that's spent with the patients to reach those milestones. So that's the kind of general fee for service model, right? Absolutely um, correct. But these codes were not just made to be billed for fee for service. They were, were, were designed. And the reason why I was so excited was billing for the services, which I think are really important, the technology and care navigation services. So we can build and have a glide path towards innovative alternative payment models to address those, those high costs that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So that's, I think that's the really kind of interesting and amazing piece. So talk to us a little bit about what that glide path looks like. How does, how does this work in a, in a value-based model and how does your company work in a value-based model? Yeah. So if you think about, you know, what are the things to be really successful in value-based care? What are the tools that you need? You need to be able to track outcomes really well. So you, on your entire population, so you can know how they're doing. Connect care that's happening in the clinic with connect, connecting care at home and, and coordinating care across the entire episode making sure that patients don't go to the ED for low back pain, for example, educating patients, not just in the clinic, but also at home about their conditions so they can have well-informed choices about what's going on and using digital technology to try to improve therapy adherence. And so by doing all those things, we think we can make a huge impact in lowering total cost of care. And so Essentially what it works is in there's many different value-based care models, but one of the models that we are going live in the state of Maryland is a total cost of care shared savings model with MSK conditions starting at the physical therapy evaluation. So they, they can use these RTM codes, they can bill for these services so they can have these tools to help them be successful and win in a total cost of care shared savings model that is going live for any therapist, physician with therapist in the entire state of Maryland starting in January, 2024. Wow. So let me make sure I understand. You're saying if you're, if you're a physical therapist in the state of Maryland, you could use these, you could use the Limber platform and bill, bill and get reimbursed for RTM. And potentially on top of that, you might get some shared savings dollars too. Yes. With on total cost of care with specialty program called Equip. And so th this is not just for physical therapists because I'm trying to be as inclusive as possible sure. for physicians uh, that work with physical therapists in a multidisciplinary setting. This is for hospitals that, that work in a multidisciplinary setting. 
or the individual therapist, but anyone can, they see the patient, they can use these RTM codes to monitor how their patients are doing throughout the episode. And if they show success, they show that we can lower total cost of care for patients, provide really good outcomes, which we track through our software, then you can actually earn additional savings on top of the RTM codes that will help the payer, Medicare in the state of Maryland, and also help the patient have more affordable healthcare. Is this Maryland program just for Medicare patients or is this all payers? This is for Medicare patients only. Got it. So if I was a physical therapist or a physician, how do I sign up for this? I mean, this is always where I like to go is, you know, you hear about this sort of very broad, strokey, amazing stuff. How exactly would somebody sign up to participate in this? Or in other words, where's the form? (laughs) 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 I can help. Two different things, you know, for, for if they want to do the remote monitoring, track outcomes, use the tools that we have at Limber. That's, that's very easy. It's a contract that we sign. We help get a, a care navigator with your team, depending on your size, it might be multiple care navigators. And it usually takes a month of training the team. And then we, we can enroll patients pretty quickly, depending on which insurers are covering the codes. And we work pretty closely with that. That's on the limber side. Uh, if you are any type of therapist or physician that's interested in MSK models and addressing total cost of care, you can participate in a program called EQIP that's run by the HCRC and the state of Maryland. And it's very simple. You just go to CRISP, which is the HIE, meaning Health Information Exchange, which essentially looks all, at all the data. They you, You'll tell certain people that you want to participate. They add you as a provider. You designate which entity that you want and what model you want to participate in. And then that model goes and gets blessed by CMMI and benchmark is created for that individual provider on what their total cost of care spend is. That's amazing. It's really cool how in Maryland with the whole global budget model and the total cost of care and crisp, how all of these things fit together like a puzzle. That is really amazing. Alex, I can tell you, I've been working on value-based healthcare for 15 years and I've never been more excited than the innovation that's happening in the state of Maryland because to create new models, it's very challenging and you need the government to participate. Yeah. So if you're a, a physician, you could go through something called the Physician Technical Advisory Committee, which is called the PTEC, which has not approved the model to date. Or you could go through the state of Maryland and, and this, the partnership between CMMI, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation Center, and EQIP have enabled a lot of innovative specialty care models that could exist. And this is a, a great place for us to, to innovate, think of new models, for savings and, and show, are these models actually bending the cost curve for total cost of care? Would you say that the state of Maryland is more like a playground for types of this type of innovation than other places? Because it's, it's interesting what you're saying, actually. Absolutely. Um, There's no other place in the United States that this type of innovation exists. You do not have models that are existing in the state like this. And I think, you know, every single state in fact, 
Change Healthcare had a, a really good article that, that went through all the value-based care models in all 50 states. I'll have to send it to both of you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they, they're all very, you know, they're either accountable care organizations or they're patient-centered medical home models, but nothing in the specialty care space. And, and what, what's really innovative about the state of Maryland is they have many different procedural and con chronic conditions and now physical therapy, alternative pain and payment models that are really revolutionary, that are connecting the primary care doctor and the specialist together so they can address total cost of care. Wow. Where can folks go to read and learn about all these different innovations in the state of Maryland? If you Google search Maryland Equip, E-Q-I-P, you can learn about the Maryland Equip models and learn about the many different type of models that they have from everything from a knee replacement to oncology specialty care to MSK, which is our MSK physical therapy model to kidney care. So you can imagine every single condition, there's over 50 different specialty care models that exist and are being managed and administered by the state of Maryland. I'm, I'm totally blown away. And it's funny because I would, I would venture to say that, you know, there's in my previous life, when I was doing house calls, I really took pride in understanding a tremendous amount about some of these things, but always felt fairly handicapped when the terms value-based medicine came up because in the state of Maryland, there are so few Medicare Advantage plans. But in some ways, this, the state has figured its way around that by continuing to have original Medicare, but with all of these cool add-ons and cool opportunities. Is that, does that sound about right? I think that that is, is spot on. As we all know, Medicare Advantage is growing. That's 50%. But just from my experience being a practicing physician also, there is a large amount of Medicare beneficiaries. And I think it's a combination of people really love their red, white, and blue cards, their Medicare cards, and they really like some of these innovative value-based care models where you're seeing providers really not just look at a patient and saying, I'm seeing you for 15 minutes. I'm now in charge of your life and helping you be successful in your journey to recovery over an entire episode. And so that type of mindset, which is starting to exist in the MA market, where you're in charge of, of, of someone's care over a period of time is happening with the red, white, and blue card. Mark and Amy, I'd love your guys' take on the, the following. If I'm a patient, it seems like all of this risk-taking is happening really without my knowledge, sometimes without, maybe even without my like overt consent. I'm like, I'm not even sure like, how, where's the patient in all this? How does the patient know that somebody's like taking risk on them in one of like in one of these models? That's a really good question. So first of all, if they want to do remote therapeutic monitoring, we always get consent agreement. We go over that with the patient. That's required for any remote patient monitoring, RPM or remote therapeutic monitoring services. And if someone says differently, then you should contact a representative right away. Secondly, when it comes to risk-bearing things, I don't know the exact definition of, of where the patient knows what's going on, 
but that's something that could be brought up with the state of Maryland. But most providers should disclose that they, that they are in a, a value-based care entity, I'm, I'm assuming. But I know that we, my orthopedic group, we participate in equip models or bundle replacements for knee and hip replacements, which are some of the earlier, especially value-based care models. But that's a really good point. And I'm, I'm not sure if I have the answer for that, Alex. So Alex, I'm going to, I'm going to take from Mark and just keep going here. So when I was doing house calls, I was part of the MDPCP and we had to inform the patients that we were a participating provider with the MDPCP. Did it spell out exactly in that particular letter that, you know, we were going to, if we did a certain amount of chronic care management and this and that, and the next thing that we would have a value-based, you know, like there's a value-based incentive for us to do A, B, and C. No, but we did inform them that we were part of that and we gave them information about the MDPCP program so they could look it up. But I can't imagine that most patients did. I think that'd be actually that really cool as a patient to be able to just go to some like simple website and know like who's making money off of me and how much, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I think that'd be cool. So, so, so Mark, let's say I'm a listener here and I have like, I, I feel like Limber would be great for my dad, for example. Is there a direct to consumer model for you guys? We don't offer a direct consumer model to date. You could go to a provider group that we work with, whether it's a physician or a, a PT or an OT and, and work with that, but we don't have a direct to consumer, but essentially once a provider signs you up, then you will get an email on how to download and get instructions. And so best way is to participate one of, with one of our providers who we're trying to work together with to empower them with digital technology and tools to help them be successful in the next generation of value-based care models. So is there an easy way for folks to know which providers are using your system? Yeah, there, there, there are. So we're in 40 states. We have oh, many wow. different provider groups, but just, you know, there, there are several that, that we work with and depending on where you are located, there's a good chance that you might be seeing us depending on the PT group or an orthopedic group. Very cool. Let me, let me ask a couple of sort of down to earthy type of questions. Number one is what is the general cost of a knee replacement? Like how much does a knee replacement cost? And if it, that's considered to be, you can offset that cost by continuing to be a compliant patient and doing your therapy or at least delay it. What does that look like from a cost perspective? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, some knee replacements and hip replacements are necessary, but not all of them, but they can be anywhere between, and, and including spinal fusion and other conditions, anywhere between 27 to 50 to sometimes 70,000. There's many variables that, that play a factor into that. One, if it's done in the hospital versus an ambulatory surgical center makes a, so the site of service is a, is a, a, a big factor that plays into that. The second most important thing is the, the rate that's being negotiated with the insurer on, on what's the price for, for that knee or hip replacement, for example. Did I answer your question, Amy? It does. So I'm just going to kind of like think about this as if I was Medicare. So one of the reasons it seems like they're incentivized to really want people to utilize these codes is that if they can offset a single, single surgery, they may be paying $1,200 in RTM, 
but they may be saving $50,000 on the back end. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, our, our, our numbers are a lot lower for RTM because it's a shorter episode. Right. So it's significantly lower than that oh, okay. from, a, yeah. from an episode. But yeah, there's the surgery that, that can be avoided, hopefully, and there's unnecessary imaging. So there's very good studies that if you don't do your therapy, and there's a lot of insurers that say that you have to do therapy in order to get an MRI. But if you get that MRI, there is a high chance that you go on to more expensive services, meaning like injections, surgeries, opioids that, that really make up a huge amount of cost in addition to the surgeries. And to give you an example, and everyone on the show should, should hear this out. If I do an MRI on a patient who is 50 or 60 years old with low back pain, I will always have something that shows up on the imaging of degenerative disease. Yeah. And as a patient, you hear something that is wrong and there's injured. You could have no numbness or tingling or radiating things down your legs that are things that, that are urgent for fixing your belly, but have all these things that show up on your MRI and you go and get more and more services that don't actually provide you the tangible benefit that you need. So I call that different things that are, can be saved by just doing therapy. And a lot of payers have recognized that. And so in order to order an MRI, sometimes they actually require six to eight. That's fascinating. It's I like, call that, I call that a therapeutic MRI. It's validation, right? If you show your spouse, you're like, this is why I need to like veg out in front of Netflix. Look, look, I have a little bit of DJD in my spine or whatever. But that, that's profound. So over time with enough data, people realize that the more you do, the more you do. So that yeah. the idea of conservative treatment actually becomes so important for the entire societal approach to healthcare in some ways. And it's not just to be big jerks. In some ways, it may be saving morbidity as well, correct? Because the more you get instrumented, the more you get instrumented, the more you get instrumented in some ways, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, how many so I'll give you an example. Seen. Let's go back to the back page. We know that if you get one spine fuse, so if you would say they, 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 they say that you've got really bad degenerative disease and they, they say they, they need to fuse the spine. You can't move that, that, that part of your body as well anymore because it's fused together. So what happens is they call this adjacent. So the disc above and the disc below actually degenerate. Depending on the literature, it can be 2.5 to 5% each year that it gets worse and worse and worse. So you have a chance of getting another fusion. And between that anesthesia that you, that, that can, can happen and the fact of having more surgeries that could fuse your entire spine, it really be, can cause morbidity for you. Okay. You'd already sold me. I'm like going to tell everybody about limber, <laughs> like I'm already going to tell everybody. But the idea here is that you want to profoundly change the trajectory of a patient through the healthcare system in some ways, not just to make money, obviously, you know, even though I started there and not just because it seems like, you know, like maybe this, I can figure out what's going on with that person at home, but really it could actually save them significant long-term consequences that maybe not everybody understands. And perhaps not even our physician colleagues understand, you know, Amy, I was today, I, I really want to tell you, like, 
I, I firmly believe you need to have a good business model or it, it just doesn't work in our system. That That is the pri priority number one. But my passion for this is because it's the right thing to do and it really can help save money and provide patient outcomes. It's a real win-win situation where if you can help patients early on in their episode, do their therapy, make sure they're successful with their therapy, help providers understand how patients are doing and be able to, to track and coordinate care better. You have a real good shot to avoid some of these unnecessary spend and, and prevent some complications that could happen from some unnecessary hospitalizations and surgeries. Yeah, I want to underscore, I think, what is a really important point here, which is I don't think there should be any shame in understanding how the money flows and that there's a positive business model here. Because look at where we started, right? We started where basically orthopedic surgeons could only get paid or get paid the large bucks if they operated, right? So now we end up in a situation where too many patients are getting operated on for, con for conditions that actually don't benefit from surgery and actually just introduce a lot of risk, right? So in order to change that, you have to create a financial model where people benefit from doing what's right. And that's really what RTM is, is creating a business model where, where the financial incentives are aligned to do what's actually right for the patient. And I think that's really awesome and wonderful. I, I, I just echo exactly what you said, Alex, and I, I completely agree with you. Awesome. So, so let's try to wrap it up. Mark, are there any other kind of final thoughts, anything else you want to share and how, how can people find both you and Limber? No, I, I, I'm very appreciative of Amy and Alex. I think, you know, you, I think the world of you guys and how, how helpful you guys are to startups like myself and look forward to, to collaborating and working closely and hopefully having you guys over for dinner at my house soon. Yeah. Yes. And what's the Limber website? It's limberhealth.com. Awesome. Fantastic. And uh, remind everybody, please join our Aging Here newsletter, aginghere.com. If you have any stories to share with us, email us at info at agingheer.com. Thanks a lot, folks. You have been listening to the Mastering Medicare podcast. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. 